The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. So good to be with you. Thanks for coming. Let's pray. Ask God for help. Our Father, you are a speaking God, a communicating God, uh, and you have things to say to us even still today. You're a present God. Uh, You're everywhere. You're here. You're here right now. You're a knowing God. You know our hearts, our thoughts. We stand uh, exposed, honest before you. So speak to us, Lord. Speak to us of your grace. Specifically, we pray you'd speak to us of this person, Jesus Christ. Let us See him freshly uh, and who he is and what he's done uh, as we celebrate today. Let us see it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm glad you're here. Some of you are new. We're especially glad you're here. Uh, If you know me very well, you'll know that I love Mexican food. Can I get an amen? Anybody else out there? All right. Of course, right? You'll also know that my wife and I used to live in Boston, and Boston has many great qualities, but it also has some strong negatives, number one being winter. Um, another one is that the Mexican food there is terrible. At least that was, that was our impression when we lived there. But anyway, one, one, one evening, I decided I was going to go for it, so I did some research, and the place looked really good. Supposed to be really good Mexican food. We drove 45 minutes to the city trying to find this place, got a seat, and the food tasted like cardboard. It was like cardboard. I mean, how many times have I been to Mexican food in my life? I probably can't count all the ways. But I remember this one place as being so incredibly bad and disappointing. And I say that because I think we'll all agree that sometimes things can look better than they really are. You ever had that experience? How many times have you had that experience? Sometimes things look better than they really are. And it happens on every level, doesn't it? Sometimes it's something trivial and stupid like a restaurant. Um, other times it's, it's far more important and more painful like a relationship. Things look better than they really are. So honest question for you. Honest question, is Easter like that? Is Easter like that? We get dressed up, right, a little bit anyway at Fountain of Life, not too much. Get dressed up a little bit. You guys look good, by the way, I want you to know that. You look very good. Um, Do we have it all together, though? Do we have it all together? If you're new here, we want you to know. We'll just go ahead and uh, be honest with you. We don't have it all together. And what about what we're talking about? We're, we're singing these great songs and saying these great things. We've got smiles on our faces. Um, is Easter really that good? Is it really that powerful? You see, what I'm afraid of is a disconnect. I'm afraid of a disconnect where the ideas of Easter in a, in a big church Sunday, they're way out here and they're kind of blingy and shiny. But when it comes to the reality of it, Do we really know it in our hearts, number one? And number two, does it have enough traction to get us through like the darkness of what these days bring so often? Because there's darkness in our lives, right? Is there any struggle in your life? Conflict, difficulty, disappointment? Imagine being one of those families in uh, Belgium this morning. 
Talk about darkness, right? Happy Easter. What are they going to sing? And we've got our own versions, sicknesses, sufferings, maybe even our own hearts toward God. Maybe, maybe today you're like, I'm just here because somebody really wanted me to come. Uh, does Easter have anything for you? Is it real or is it just uh, looks good on the outside but there's nothing to it? I care about that, you know, and it's, it's true. Some things can look better than they really are, but you know the opposite is true sometimes. Sure is. Sometimes things that don't look so good at first end up being better than you ever imagined. Sometimes later you, 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 weren't able, you realize you weren't able to see everything that was there, and then when you, you finally see it, you're like, oh, this is, this is amazing. Could it be that way with Jesus and Easter? Could it be that he's better than you've ever imagined and he's worth everything? If only you could just see what's there. I want to share with you from John 11 this morning. And John, we know, is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And in this story, I want you to know there's plenty of death and darkness. So it's, it's not just a, a cheesy, everything is happy kind of a story. And there's some awful suffering that takes place in this, uh, in this story. There's people who are are frustrated, confused, and I'll tell you even this. Did you know there's people in this story who are mad at Jesus? Angry at Jesus, upset. Has that ever been you before? So what I, what I want you to see is that Jesus intentionally allows this situation to occur for the good of those he loves And in his love for them, he wants to show them, really show them just how good he is. And so guess what I think he wants to do for us this morning? He wants to show you who he is. Can you see it? I hope we'll see that he's better than we ever imagined. And realize that even in the midst of our darkness, the reality of Easter is everything we need. So three major things I want you to see with me. Number one, who Jesus is. Number two, what he came to do. And number three, what we can have right here and right now because of him. Number one, who Jesus is. Well, we remember this is a story, so I should tell part of it. What you didn't see in the beginning of this chapter is that Jesus has really good friends. Friends that he loves, friends he hung out with a lot. Uh, There were three siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and the text is clear. I mean, they were, they were close. They were close friends. He stayed at their house uh, often. Everybody knew, oh, Jesus loves those people. He loves them. And what's amazing is that in this story, Jesus seems to really let his friends down. Uh, what happened was Lazarus, the brother, became very sick while Jesus was away. And uh, you can imagine what Mary and Martha are thinking, right? What would you think? Lazarus is sick, but hey, right, we're good. Who's our best friend? You know, Jesus, he does these things called miracles. We'll just dial him up. Yo, um, Jesus, do your thing, right? I mean, after all, right, if Jesus can heal entire cities at once, people he doesn't even know, people who are really bad people, supposedly, uh, if he'll just heal like that, then surely, right, We're his close friends. Surely if he loves us, healed. And they send the message and Jesus doesn't show up. He doesn't come. 
He doesn't arrive. He doesn't even pull one of those long-distance healings, which he can do sometimes. Nothing. In fact, by the time Jesus shows up, the one who loves them, the one that they love, Lazarus is four days dead. Four days. Talk about late. And talk about darkness. Can you imagine the questions and thoughts swirling in Mary and Martha's minds? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? Okay. Same questions you and I have had. Same thoughts. So Jesus shows up around verse 17. Uh, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. He comes four days late to a loud funeral. You know, it mentions all these mourners. In that culture, um, when somebody close died, you didn't just grieve it by yourself. In fact, it was normal culturally for even a poor family to hire at least one mourner. So if some of you guys feel like you haven't found your niche career-wise, you might try to resurrect this process. You know, hey, I can come over and moan with you. <laughs> and that's what they did. It, it's, it's Near Eastern culture. It wasn't like, let's keep it to ourselves. It's, ah, together, which is probably good for us, to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, this family, they weren't poor. We know that from other places in the gospel. So they got, they hired several mourners. So they're all there mourning. And you can imagine Jesus showing up four days late, and everybody's mourning, moaning. Martha hears that he's come, and she goes up and meets him. You see in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. It's real interesting to see these two different responses. Martha hears Jesus is there. What does she do? I got to go talk to him. Mary says, I'm not even getting up. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And you can imagine what's there, right? What's there at? Hurt, pain. I can't even go see him right now. Have you ever felt that way before? Martha goes to see her. You see in verse 21 what she says. She voices out her pain. You can just hear what she's feeling. Lord, if you've been here, if you'd just been here, my brother would not have died. So she knows good and well what he could do, right? She's not questioning that. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Oh. And Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha kind of gives, I feel, it feels like this to me. Yeah, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Okay, what, do you, what do you see in her? Has she lost her faith? No, not at all. He's going to rise on the last day. Okay. She believes there's an afterlife. She's a, she believes there's a resurrection. That seems pretty good, right? <laughs> Maybe that's like you, kind of general beliefs about what's out there. But Jesus is not content with that. He's pushing her to more. Look what he says in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. First of all, that's just a staggering, staggering claim. You hear what he's saying. He's not saying I can give you life. He's not saying I know somebody who has life. He is saying, I am life. I'm life. If anybody in your life said that to you, yeah, you do it. <laughs> right? 
You're cracked. <laughs> I'm life. Now remember, sometimes things look better than they actually are. Mary and Martha are afraid of this with Jesus. He's let them down. But sometimes things actually are better than they at first appear. And Jesus, how does he look right there standing there? He looks just like a normal dude, um, not especially anything. He's just a normal guy. Uh, he's not rich. Um, and he just said, I am life. And really, there's two views here. Can you, can you see it? He's just, uh, he's just a, I am life. Is he, is he life? Like, if this is true, he's, he created everything, life. Like, it comes from him. What kind, what kind of life is that? If this is true, you're alive right now because of him. He's enabling you to live. You're breathing, your heart's beating, and there's ideas in your brains because he's saying, live. I am life. And that's why he says, also, I'm the resurrection. I am the resurrection. So I'm so, I'm so isn't he claiming to be God? How else can, what else can this be? I'm so God, I made everything, and I could make it come back to life. Now, you'd think he'd have been okay with Martha being like, yeah, our brother will rise one day. But he's not. He wants, he wants more because he wants to take your vague religious ideas, and he wants you to put them on him as a person. He wants you to go to him as a person and see who he is to the universe and to you. Jesus is life. He is life. Can you see it? Can you see it? And of course, you know, this kind of blows up the whole good teacher thing, right? Have you heard that you've heard it said Jesus is, well, he's a good teacher. He's like doc, spiritual Dr. Phil. Um, and what can you do with that? You know, you, you watch an episode when you have a need and you take some of what he says. It's like that horrible uh, church sign. You ever like to read church signs and make fun of them? Um, don't get burned, use sunscreen, right? You heard that one, S-O-N screen? And we're all like, oh, gosh. <laughs> Every Christian in the world is like, oh, gosh. You know, because, you know, there's Jesus, and you can squeeze out a little ointment, you know, and apply as necessary. He's a good teacher. Use him occasionally. But as C.S. Lewis says, he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic, and so when Jesus says things like, I am life, look, if he's just a good teacher and he's saying he's life and he's not God, then what is he? He's cracked or he's a liar. He's a lunatic or he's a liar. Which, you got, you got three options. What are you going to do with him? He says he's life. He's a liar. Burn your Bibles. He's a lunatic. Feel sorry for him and all the Christians. There is those people who are cracked. Or... He's Lord. What do you do then? I am life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he says to her, believe in me and you'll have that eternal life. I'll raise him from the dead. And she believes. She says, I believe. You're the Christ. First picture you see of Jesus, who is he? He's God. He's life. The next picture is just as beautiful, but it's the other side of the coin. So, verse 28, after Jesus meets with Martha, when she says this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, you can imagine her sneaking back in, going to whisper to her sister, 
The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. Can you feel that? Can you feel that moment? She can't even get up. She can't go see him. He's come. He's talked with Martha, and she comes and says, he's calling for you. I, I can't help but think if you've ever felt like Mary, you just couldn't get up to go see Jesus again. Life's hurt too much. Maybe he's calling for you right now. Maybe he's calling for you right now. Come talk to me. Come talk to me. Verse 29, when she heard it, she rose quickly and went with him. And you see in verse 28, they're trying to keep it private. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want a moment alone for that? But unfortunately, the orchestra of mourning people <laughs> see that she's gone to see Jesus, and they're like, well, it's like, you know, what would you do if all your friends, you know, your one friend has lost her family member and runs to the tomb, and all the friends are like, oh, we got to go with her. And so they're all running. So Jesus has Mary and this crowd of mourning people <laughs> running to him. And this is just heart-wrenching. Mary rises to go see him. Look at verse 32. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. And then she's just weeping. She's just weeping. And then Jesus sees her weeping, and then the, the morning chorus has come, and they're all moaning and weeping too. And Jesus loved Lazarus, and he loves her. Look what he does. Did you see it? Shortest verse in the Bible. Maybe the most precious verse in the Bible. Because you don't see Jesus go, pull it together, ladies. You don't see him going, gosh, you got no faith. What's your problem? You don't even see him say, well, you're all sinners. You deserve to die. I guess he could have said some of those. He wouldn't have been wrong. But what does he do? He doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word. Verse 35. Jesus, what? He wept. He just cried with her. He cried with her. Do you see the beauty of Jesus? He is life. And he has truth. And here in this picture, we have life weeping. That's why he's the God-man. That's who he is. He's the Christ. He's the God-man. Fully God, fully man. And this is, he is who you need. He is who you need because on the one hand, he is truth and power and strength. And on the other hand, at the same time, he is presence and compassion and gentleness. And he can give you exactly what you need every time. He is life who weeps. He is power who loves. He is truth who's compassionate. I'm amazed by Jesus, and I love him. You see, if he just gives you truth and power, you get trampled. You ever heard somebody, when you're hurting, try to just lay truth on you and that's it? You can't get up again. But he's not just tears, because if he's just tears... Yeah, thanks for caring. But you got nothing to hold on to. You got nothing to stand on. You got no hope. Jesus is both truth and tears, strength and compassion. He's the God man. 
That's who he is. I'm telling you, he's better than he looks. And guess what? That's, he's always better than he looks. And no matter how much you've seen him and you're like, oh, I think he looks pretty good, guess what? He's still better. You'll never get to the end of that. What did he come to do? Well, I want to point out this crazy word. Verse 33 and verse 38. It's in here twice. In verse 33 it says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. Then you see later in verse 38, when he comes to the tomb, he's deeply moved again. And commentators are all in agreement that translations kind of chicken out when it comes to this word. They chicken out because the word means, it doesn't mean like emotional, like Jesus is emo and can't, can't figure himself out. It means he bellows like a horse. That's the original use of the word. It means he's growling in anger. It means something like, oh. Come on, you ever been in a fight and you were ready to give yours and you're just, mmm. That's what it means. He's angry. He's ready to fight. Who's he angry at? It's not the ladies, right? It's not his friends. How's he been with them? Gentle, kind, compassionate, not, not a word of condemnation. What's he angry at? Folks, you get to witness right here the universe's greatest battles. Right here. This is it. Now, how many of you saw Batman versus Superman? Yeah, I heard it's terrible. Um, okay. This is bigger than that, mostly because it's real. Um. What about Axis versus Allies, World War II? Big one. Okay. That's nothing compared to this. This is life versus death. Life, what's his name? I am life. My name is Jesus. Versus death, where's his friend? In the tomb, that's who he's growling at. Mm. You know, there's been a lot of great fights out there. If you're a UFC fan, if you're a boxing fan, if you're a sports fan, you love the, the clash of the titans. But that's all, just, that's all just jokes. That's tickles compared to this. And, you know, this is the one enemy nobody's, nobody's been ever to beat. Okay, you can eat all the vegetables you want. You can go organic. Surgeries, lotions. Vaccine, no vaccine. Guess where you're going to end, folks? Dead. <laughs> I'm not a prophet. You're going to die. You can't win. And that's who Jesus has come to fight for you. He came to fight death. He, I'm not overstating it when I say he's a cold-blooded assassin and his target is sin and death. He's aiming high. He came to fight sin. He wants his world back, and he's going to take it. You see, death was never the original intent for you. Everything was made good. We were made good, and we're made to know and enjoy God forever and live forever with him. Death came because of what we call sin. Sin is rebellion against God. God is life, and when we turn from God and say, I don't want you, I don't want your ways, I don't want your presence, you turn from life, gets what you get. Death, death, and Jesus came to reverse that. He came to fight for us and fight against our greatest enemy, sin and death. Do you see why Easter has traction in this life? 
We live in the midst of darkness. Jesus came into the midst of that darkness to end that darkness. He's fighting death. So he goes to the tomb, verse 39. Take away the stone. And what is Martha, the sister? I love how the the author puts this. John says, Martha, the sister of the dead man. He doesn't say Lazarus. He says dead man. Why is he doing that? Just want you to know, in case you're doubting, it's been four days. The brother is, he's dead. He's out. He's, it's over. In fact, Martha says, and this is awkward, right? He's going to stink. <laughs> it's going to stink. Honestly, if you were there, wouldn't you be kind of angry at Jesus? This is so inappropriate. I, I mean it. I mean, we have 20-20 hindsight. You kind of know what's going to happen at the end of the story, don't you? I'm trying to build tension, but you're still like, we know what happens. Um, but if you're there, you don't know what's going to happen. Really, Jesus, you're going you're to roll away the stone right here? Jesus is picking a fight with death. They move the stone, and you're maybe disgusted. Then you hear his prayer. Listen to what he says. Verse 41, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He's telling you who he is and what he's doing and why. Father, what's he called God? Father, who's Jesus? Son of God, the unique, eternal Son of God. Father, I know you hear me. Jesus knows what he's gonna do. You always hear me. I said this on account of the people standing around. Why? That they may believe. This is a stage for us all to look and see who Jesus is and what he's doing. Can you see it? That's what he's doing. And then he says, with a loud voice, verse 33, Lazarus, come out. I like to imagine being there. You're watching. The stone got moved. Maybe you're you don't get Jesus. You heard his prayer. Maybe you're curious. And then in the, gl- in the shadow, in the glimmer of the shadow, you see, you see white bandages move. <laughs> Come on, they are freaking out. Aren't you freaking out? What? The- I mean, you're just, people are cussing and going, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Jesus is here. Because, <laughs> oh, I mean, you're just God's. You, some people are scared to death. Some people are so happy. Everybody's like, what? You just... He said he was life. I'm life. Prove it. Okay. Come out. And he did. He did. Gosh. Can you see him? He's so great, so powerful, so loving. Truth, life, weeping, saving. He came to fight for you. That's what he came for. But really, this is just the, uh, this is the warning shot on a greater battle. Lazarus is still going to die. Poor guy, he had to do it. He had to do it twice. I don't know if it's easier the second time around. You'll have to ask him. Uh, but the real battle's coming later. And if you're in your Bibles, I want to point you just to some verses that come later in the chapter. Look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. And some of us are like, how could you not? 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. 
This is a unique kind of tattletale right here. Usually telling somebody for doing something bad. I don't know how this one goes. Oh, yeah. he rose somebody from the dead. Oh. Uh, how, do you, how do you do that? You should have seen it. He rose somebody from the dead. Look at their response. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? And I, for one, am like, well, I know what you should do. He rose someone from the dead, so you should worship him. This is what they say. What are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. You'd think the resurrection would seal the deal, but you realize this isn't an issue of, what you think about Jesus is not an issue of evidence. Because all the evidence you could ever want is there. He is life. What you think about Jesus is an issue of your heart. Who he is. Do you want him? Do you see him? Do you want life? His life? Listen to the words of the priests. Uh, verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand. It's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Wow, so high priest is an ac- the high priest here is an accidental prophet. You know, he's just being politically savvy, right? He's afraid Jesus is going to claim to be king, and all the people are going to follow him, so Rome's going to have to come squelch him. Rome's going to wreck him. And so he says, hey, let's be politically savvy. If one guy's causing all this trouble, what do we do? We'll just take him out. We'll have him killed. It's better that he should die than Israel get wrecked by Rome. And God is saluting the uniform of high priest and has a secondary message The high priest is an unintentional prophet. And what he meant to say was, let's be politically savvy. We'll have Jesus killed so Rome won't wreck us. But what God is saying through him is that in Jesus, the one man will die to keep sinners from getting justly wrecked by God himself. Jesus is going to go down for me and for you. See, the way he's going to save us from sin and death is to sponge it up from us to take all of my sin upon himself and therefore the death that I deserve so that I can be healed and cleansed and set free. And that's what he's doing for you, for everyone who will trust in him. Death comes from sin and Jesus came to take our place to win our war. He lived the perfect life. We should have, but didn't. And he died a substitutionary death. He's entered our darkness to take it. He's entered our death to kill it, to give us his life. And of course, he rose from the dead. These these same ladies will be witnesses to another resurrection, and it's a better one. Lazarus stumbles out. They have to unwrap him from his clothes, his rags, but he's gonna die again. Jesus will walk through walls in his resurrection and ascend to heaven where he reigns And one day he's going to return the life and he's going to kick death in the head, finally, and death will die. Death will die. Who's Jesus? He's the God-man. What did he come to do? Fight for you. To give you his life. 
through his death and through his resurrection, he wants to give you his life. That's what we're celebrating on Easter. He's alive. He won. The one who is life has come. He's compassionate enough to be with us, to give us hope, to keep us going, and he's strong and victorious enough to win the war. And we're alive in him. Look at these verses. What's the point? John tells you at the end of the story. John 20, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How do you respond? How are you going to respond to the God-man who came to fight your battle so that you could have life? How are you going to respond? If he's life, he made you and he's giving you life right now. What kind of of response should that be? Meh. How do you shrug off life? And if he really went to death and grave to win you, how are you going to respond to him? Can we give him a halfway sort of... No, the one who made you, the one who saves you, you believe to the point where you have life in his name. That's a trust to the point of his life filling you, his life in you. What happens is two miracles, two miracles when you trust Jesus. Number one, you're standing. You go from death to life. You're standing. What I mean by that is how God sees you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you view yourself, you may think, I'm not good enough for this. Listen, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Nobody's good enough for this. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. His grace is so big, it's for everybody. It's for everybody no matter what. If you trust Jesus, your standing will change, and he will change you. And this is what the Bible says happens. You go from enemy of God to loved friend of God, child of God. And it happens freely as a gift. There's not a person in this room who can't have that if they just look upon and trust in Jesus. Your standing changes. Your identity changes. You are his. You are loved. You are welcomed. You can have it. It'll also change your experience. It'll change your experience. One way it'll do that is we'll be less self-centered. You know, it sounds small, but how many of you struggle with being self-centered? Nobody. Okay, two of you. How many, how many of you think the person next to you struggles with being self-centered? All right, all right, now we're, getting, now we're being honest. Do you see how self-giving God is? He gives his son. Jesus gives his life to you, everything he is to you. When you receive that, you receive all that he is. And when you're so satisfied in who he is, the God-man who loves you, who's with you, who's gonna save you, you know, we don't have to do all this this petty self-protection stuff anymore. We can be free and joyful to give of ourselves. How how many of you need character change? You want more character change? I'm gonna be first in line. I need it so bad. I want it so bad. Jesus is doing this in my life. And he has been. I hope you've been able, some of you have known me for a while. I hope you've been able to see it, at least subtly. He's doing it in my life. 
And he wants to do it in yours. That You have his life. You're going to live forever and you're going to see God and you know him. You can, you can also be like him. If you're amazed with Jesus and you see him, don't you want to be like him? Don't you want to be humble but courageous and strong and kind and generous and compassionate like he is? He'll do that in you. Believe in him, have life in his name. I want to invite you to join us. We're going to be looking at character change in the next few weeks and how the Lord Jesus does that through his Holy Spirit. Join us for that because I'm telling you, you trust Jesus, you'll have life. Life in his name. So, wrap it up. Listen, even though our world is dark, often our lives are dark, I hope you can see this. Who is Jesus? He's the God-man. Life who weeps. What did he come to do? He came to fight for you and save you from sin and death. How did he do it? He did it by taking it himself. He paid for your sin. He rose from the dead. So what should we do? Believe. Trust him and have life in his name. Let's pray. Our Father, we... um, your grace is so fantastic. Uh, you're honest with us. You're kind to us. And you just give. You give your love. You gave your son. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just fill this room right now and you'd be whispering in, into our heads and into our hearts. And uh, you'd show us what our response to you has honestly been like. Maybe we're like Martha and we've got some religious views on what happens at the end and you're pulling our attention to you. That we'd see you, Lord Jesus, as life. Maybe we're like Mary and we've been so beat up by life we haven't even been able to get out of the, out of the house to come talk to you. And you're saying, come, come, come talk to me. And you're saying to us, I, I weep with you. I feel your pain. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be like those religious leaders who saw what you did and then just turned away, but rather we'd be those who by your spirit, we would see you and we say, oh, I, I love Jesus. I need him. I need him to save me. I need him to give me his life. And we trust in you and have life in your name. Do that in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.